Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Friday. It's April 14th. We have some NBA play-in games today to decide the eighth seed facing the Bucks and the Nuggets, respectively, in the uh, East and the West. And then NBA playoffs begin Saturday and Sunday. We'll dive into all... Uh, there you go. I was waiting for yeah. it. We'll dive into all of those games and the lines that we know of later on in today's show. We'll also make room for uh, Matt George from ABC 10 around 1015 today. I don't know. We were talking about this off air that uh, it's probably been a very, very, very long time predates my time in radio of when uh, there was a, a need to talk about the Kings because they've made the playoffs snapping a near 17-year drought. Uh, so we'll talk with Matt George about this Kings team and what the expectations are. Congratulations, you make the playoffs and you get the Warriors yeah. in round yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the last time I did a segment on the Kings was when they played in the Western Conference Finals against the, against the Lakers. And it was a seven-game series. And there was a lot of people who thought that the Kings got hosed in that series and so forth. But I'm I'm almost positive that that's the last time I did a Sacramento Kings uh, segment. And I go way back with the Kings uh, when I was a syndicated radio host. And uh, yeah, we had one of our big stations was KHTK, uh, KHTK maybe something like that in Sacramento. And I was at war with one of their local you know local announcers there and. Uh, it was uh, it, you know, that was a not not a good relationship we had with the city of Sacramento because I was been those days anti Kings that was long before the Chris Webber days they just weren't very good and they thought they were good so anyway th- that's how that goes so that's my Kings history I'm done sorry well hopefully our history with Matt George will go better so we'll see how yeah, that un- I like this team. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I just yeah. wish they weren't playing the Warriors. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but we'll get into that around 10.15 or so today. Let's get into the poll questions. Let's set the scene for today with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Who do you have ATS on Sunday? And boy, your conversation with Tomer Azerly has has flipped this answer on its head uh you can always podcast if you missed any of uh interviews or episodes over at kdos1060.com as well as with the kdos 1060 app but who do you have ats on sunday suns minus seven clippers plus seven clippers plus seven now 57 percent of the vote suns minus seven at 43 percent yeah, and you know, to mirror, we you know, he pretty much. I think I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I don't think he think I don't think he believes George is going to play at all in this series. But if he does, as I mentioned in the last hour during the sports zone, the schedule certainly. If they want to try to get him into these last games, if, if it's a seven game series, the last three games would be over an eight day stretch, so they could maybe pull that part off. 
We'll get into that a little bit more as well uh, in this next segment. But uh, when it comes to answering the question, we'll do that around 1130 today. Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Do you like the NBA play in tournament and knows consistently been out in front? 70% of the vote. Yes. Trailing at 30%. I'm a little surprised at the result here. Are you? A little bit, actually, and I'm wondering, maybe this is just a theory or maybe it might have something to do with my answer, uh, that just the way that this NBA regular season has gone, that the last couple of games, you would expect the the drama and intrigue to be there for the last, uh, like it was the last couple of years. It just, there still was a ton of load management that maybe the whole thing has just been soured. Totally. I was, I'm sure we asked this question the last couple of years and I'm positive that I was against it and didn't like it at all. But I must admit that I've been pretty entertained Tuesday, Wednesday, and you know, Tuesday, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, especially Wednesday. Um, yeah, you know, so you know, I'm, I'm coming around a little bit. I haven't quite decided what my answer is going to be in like an hour and a half here or whenever we get to that. But, uh, you know, it was complete. I was completely against it. Uh, even before this week started, I thought it was ridiculous. But the, I'm I'm changing a little bit. The nine and ten seed games, I think, have been better so far than the seven yeah. eight seed games, which has been fascinating. Yeah. And as you mentioned yesterday, the first time ever that ten seeds have won in this format. Right, and they both won within like three hours of each other. No 10 seed had ever won a game before uh, the Bulls on uh, Wednesday night, and then by the end of the night, uh, the Thunder had won. So we'll answer this question around 1130. We'll we'll have an opinion by then. Uh, but it's Friday. Guess what that means? It's Friday Spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Von Hansen's, it's not your normal meat market. Craft beer, wine, spirits, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends. Visit them, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler, vonhansen'smeats.net. Here we go for the weekend specials. Certified choice Angus beef, 10-ounce ribeye steaks at $15.99 each. Prime pork loin back ribs at $6.99 a pound and fresh jumbo party style chicken wings at $5.99 a pound. And of course, we'll have the $100 gift certificate available to you, but not quite yet. Let's dissect some of this uh, this game for the Suns hosting the Clippers on Sunday, 5 p.m. on TNT and Bally Sports Arizona. We'll be doing it throughout the show as well, but it will start with the injury news. At least as of yesterday when Monty Williams met the local media, uh, he did not provide an update on Bismarck Biombo's status or campaign status. However, reportedly, uh, Busy was seen on the practice, co- practice court with a knee sleeve and campaign pain was seen in the weight room uh you know we obviously haven't heard one way or another whether or not they're going to be available but for a talking point standpoint here for this series against the clippers if let's say bismarck's unavailable or a little bit hampered uh campaign unavailable or a little bit hampered which one has more of an impact that this is this is not good news for the Suns if either of those two can't play or a little bit slowed and hampered based upon the injury I'm going to say Biombo strictly because of the defense. You can make a case for either. I think it's a really good question. But I'm going to say Biombo strictly because of the defensive end of things because I think the Suns, uh, even if they go a long way in the playoffs, I'm guessing even if they do that, uh, one of our 
at least one of my, you know, you know I think, you know, bullet points uh, throughout the, the postseason is going to be, I know there's been lots of talk about the Suns bench and so forth. My biggest concern about the Suns bench is who on that bench actually defends anybody. And I think Biombo is the guy. Um, you know, well, actually, yeah, Tory Craig does too. But uh, yeah, I think that the the Suns certainly. I think there's a bigger drop off defensively after, especially after Duran and Aiton are on the floor. Uh, if they're not out there, I think that's a massive drop off defensively because they don't really get a whole lot of guard play as far as perimeter defense goes. Uh, so I'm going to say Biombo because yeah, pa- campaign we've said. Really, since he emerged when they were in the bubble, uh, you know, what three seasons ago now, if he's not scoring, he doesn't really offer a whole lot, uh, you know, defensively, certainly. And he's not a great passer for a guy that's a quote point guard. So if he's not scoring points, not really sure what he's doing out there sometimes. Well, I can't remember now which game it was for the end of the regular season, but campaign did not get any minutes. And Monty Williams had said post game that he just wanted to see some different defensive defensive matchups. And I think that lends itself to your point there about, you know, who else could we potentially put in in this situation if what we need is defense, if we feel pretty confident that we could have at least KD or Booker on the court uh, to be able to provide some offense. In, in a, you know, his particular rotational setups. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Saban League is, you know, did, he's had some good moments. I don't know if you want to throw him into this situation as far as you know, getting more point guard minutes in the back backup role than Payne. But yeah, I think it's, you know, I just brought it up. So I think it's at least worth mentioning. But I've been really impressed with Bismarck. He kind of wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time. Jock Landell was. And then the uh, switch flipped and Bismarck Biombo was the one that was out there. And I think you just saw an incredible difference. You saw a little bit better rim protection as well. And just massive right. hustle plays. I mean, hustle, Biombo, those two words should just go together. Agreed. And he's a tremendous rebounder. I mean, if he gets his hands on the ball, it is his. Uh, and uh, that's definitely something that, uh, you know, I guess we'd go back to the Pat Riley battle cry of the literally in the 80s that, uh, you know, no rebounds, no rings or whatever, how he phrased that back in the Lakers days against the Celtics. But, uh, you know, I think that's the uh, defense and rebounding, I think, is certainly the reason that Biombo got the majority of the minutes when everybody was healthy, as opposed to uh, Landau coming off the bench. That should be a, like a song, a battle cry, no rebounds, no rings. Really? I mean, yeah, yeah, they had when the Lakers in those days, they I remember I had a T-shirt. He actually like copyrighted the three peat thing. Literally, Riley did. And uh, they should have made Yeah, They're in Los Angeles, for God's sakes. They should somebody should have made a song about that. But, you know, we didn't quite have the 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 the, the, you know, all the social media stuff that we have now. So I assume it probably would be a song now. Somebody should do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody should definitely do that now. Uh, moving on to the Clippers here, there was a great conversation that you had in the previous hour with Tomar Azerly from Clutch Points talking about the Clippers side of things. And if you missed it, podcast KDOS1060.com, KDOS1060 app or Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. But when it comes to Paul George, uh, Shams had reported not expected to be ready for the start of this series 
possible he could be ready to go for games three and four. As you pointed out, Tomar kind of alluded to that he would be surprised if he was ready to go. Uh, There's been no official announcement. We're just kind of reading between the lines of different things that Paul George has said on some podcast that he joined. But when it comes to looking at his own podcast. Oh, oh, there we go. Some podcast, his own podcast. Um, When it comes, though, to this particular schedule and potentially if there were an opportunity for Paul George to come back. So they play uh, game one here on Sunday. Then game two, there's a significant amount of rest there for Tuesday. Then game three with travel to L.A. I say that it's a hop, skip and a jump and away. Uh, Thursday, game three. Then Saturday, game four. And if a game five is necessary, then it's uh, 425. Game six is 427. And a game seven is 429. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, you know the Suns uh, it would be beneficial in many ways to get off to a good start in this series. You know the way that that schedule works out, and I that caught this caught my eye immediately. That you know the first four games are over a seven-day stretch. If the series would go seven games, the final three games would be over an eight-game stretch, and that would be much easier. Yeah, for George, a recovery time and so forth from game to game. And, you know, who knows if he's going to be effective if he does come back and even plays in this series and what he can do and what he can't do. I assume the Clippers aren't even sure about that. But certainly the longer the series goes, especially if George would be available, I think that that would uh, favor the Clippers. And I've said for weeks that uh, before George got hurt, uh, really, since uh, you know the Westbrook addition, and not just Westbrook, but you know this, I think this Eric Gordon thing. Now, I wanted the Suns to get him before the trade deadline. I wanted them to end up getting him in the buyout phase and all that. But uh, I think that the, you know those two additions, when the when the Clippers were all healthy, I think this is the dip, most difficult matchup matchup in the Western Conference for the Suns. And I haven't changed my tune on that. But you know they're obviously not. 100% because of the George situation. I think you're right that the Suns have to come out uh, pedal to the metal, take advantage of the home court advantage as well and the potential there that Paul George won't be ready to go. So kind of dispirit them right away. Now, just looking at this, I mean, Kevin Durant, uh, he's not very vocal, uh, not very outwardly vocal, but I'd have to think that he potentially could change the mindset of being able to come out and just squash hopes and dreams of the Clippers right away just by his play and his his presence that's true and Booker's Mr. First Quarter I mean yeah he's insane in the first quarter of games uh, so I would also expect an aggressive I would imagine the first game it's going to be an aggressive Booker from the start and you know Durant seems to he, he's not he's not ball dependent that's what makes him such a really good player and I should even you know, I don't use the word term great very often but I think he's a great NBA player in his career, and uh, you know because he doesn't have to have the ball a hundred percent of the time to be effective. Uh, obviously, defense too. Uh, but you know Booker, I think, is the guy that you know needs to come out most aggressive and kind of you know, establish what he's going to do and who's going to be guarding him. Yeah, you know, is it, you know are they going to put Leonard on him from the start? Obviously, George. Would have been a really nice matchup for the Clippers. At least I think that they would have liked, prefer, certainly preferred that situation. Uh, so Leonard could only guard one dude. 
Uh, it sometimes looked like he's he, there's going to be plays in this series. I'm sure where you think he's guarding more than one dude, but uh, straight up, that's you know, his assignment is going to be you know just one guy, and is who's that going to be? Yeah, I mean, not having Paul George, not having his length to disrupt, you know, what maybe Devin Booker would want to do if they decided to go that direction in a matchup. Uh, You you can't always double team when Kevin Durant and Booker are on the floor. That's going to leave somebody open. And also in a rotational swing, Chris Paul has to be ready to go to shoot the three uh, and and knock those shots down. And that could certainly open things up in the middle with Aiton. So I think not having Paul George sets this up really nicely off offensively for the Suns it should even though I will say and I mentioned this when we uh, talked in the in the first hour about the Clippers is that you know the Clippers also have some guys that have been I wouldn't say Suns killers but have had some really good moments against the Suns I already mentioned Gordon yeah Norman Powell's had some monstrous games against the Suns no matter he's played for several teams now but he's had some big moments against them and so is Batum Nicholas Batum even going back to the Portland days True. uh he he's had some nice moments and he's got some length to him and you know I I really like the you know one of the reasons I've liked the Clippers for several weeks now is the fact I really like their complementary players in addition to the assumption I was making that you know George and Leonard would be healthy and they tried to do everything they could load management wise to get through the season and then, unfortunately, George had the injury that had nothing to do with load management a couple weeks ago. Well, that game tips off game number one Sunday uh, from the Footprint Center, 5 p.m. TNT and Bally Sports Arizona. We'll keep it in the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference, and we'll dive into a conversation with Matt George from ABC 10 in Sacramento. We'll get the vibes of how Sacramento fans are excited about uh, the Kings being in the playoffs. Can they make some noise? And Bob, we'll even talk a little defense. See if there will be Ooh. any defense played uh, in the contest between the Warriors and the Kings. So we'll get into that next on the other side of the break. The Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits gift card, $100 gift card, still available. Of course, check them out over at 2390 North Alma School Road in Chandler or online at vonhansensmeats.net. Matt George is next. It's the Extra Point. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and on the new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Matt George from ABC 10 KXTV in Sacramento. Matt, we're going to chat about some Sacramento Kings. How excited are you that the Kings are finally back in the playoffs? It's been almost 17 years, and now it's just one day that we have to wait here in Sacramento until the playoffs begin. And this day might feel longer than all those years combined, to be truthfully, uh, truthful with you. But, man, the, the, the vibe, the buzz in the city uh, has been incredible. Last time the Sacramento Kings made the playoffs, I was 12 years old. Uh, so this has been a long time coming for a lot of us. And there's going to be, if nothing else, a major release of frustration, impatience, whatever it may be, uh, there, the, 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 there's going to be a, a, a sound level heard and felt 
from the Golden One Center come tomorrow night. Well, you mentioned it there. The Kings, they finished uh, first in the Pacific Division, third in the NBA West with a 48-34 and record. They've reached the postseason for the first time in, uh, as you mentioned, nearly 17 years. So as this team got the 2022-2023 season started, winning games, when did it become apparent to you that this wasn't an aberration and that this team had turned a corner, found some key pieces, and was good? So they went on a seven-game win streak pretty early on in the season. Had some pretty impressive wins, including a win over the Memphis Grizzlies during that stretch. And and we felt like, okay, this Kings team is capable of, of winning basketball games consistently as the longest winning streak that team had gone on in, in God knows how long. Uh, and then what we were interested in seeing was, okay, where's the fall-off? Where's the drop-off? Like, where's the where where does the other shoe fall, right? And that's kind of something that, not just us in Sacramento, I think everybody around the league was waiting for with this Kings team all season. Like, okay, they get off to this hot start, but when are they going to cool down, right? The Kings managed to, until the very end of the season, the last three games of the season, which they were resting players, they managed to avoid a losing streak of more than two games uh, every uh, for, for the rest of the season since November, basically. So they had an 0-4 start. They lost three straight games in like early November. Then they didn't lose more than two straight all the way until the end of the season. Uh, so this Kings team did a really good job of not allowing like extended losing streaks and, and, and for nipping bad habits in the bud and making adjustments uh, very, very quickly. Uh, they ended up building a, a six-game win streak again um, like a, about a month or so, maybe a couple months uh, after that seven-game win streak. So they just consistently were able to keep facing what was in front of them some waiting for the, the shoe to drop, uh, like the goalposts being adjusted a little bit, uh, waiting to see what other teams did, like after at the trade deadline and after the All-Star break and continuing to handle it and face it and not look phased and looked comfortable. They looked like a team that had been together. So I don't know if I, I can necessarily pinpoint, like there's a game in particular where the Sacramento Kings beat the Utah Jazz um, by one point in Sacramento, and Kevin Herter hit a uh, essentially a game-winning three in that game that absolutely blew the roof off of the arena, uh, and that was like a kind of a oh man, this like welcome kind of what to what the playoffs could be here moment. But I don't know if I, I can point to anything specifically where I went. Oh, this is a playoff team. Mike Brown has already won at least one Coach of the Year award, justifiably. What's impressed you the most with what he has done with uh, the Kings in his first season? Oh, God, how much time you got? I could I could spend half an hour just talking about Mike Brown and how impressive he is and all his accomplishments. I mean, first off, I believe the number is 11. There's been 11 head coaches between Rick Adelman, the last Kings head coach to get the Kings in the playoffs, and now Mike Brown. So Mike has been able to do what 11 different coaches, including some pretty impressive names, were not able to do. Uh, and he did that right away. But Mike came in day one, and he was saying the right things, preaching the right things. Uh, and, and I think the, the one thing that he's established clearly is the accountability that he, that he preaches, but the respect that he, he has amongst his players and his staff to where he can call out his players privately or publicly. And he called players out publicly multiple times this season, specific guys by name. He called out De'Aaron. He called out DeMontis. He called out Keegan. Uh, he called out different guys. And they would respond to him and, and, and take that and not take that personally or take that and, uh, and be upset about it or allow that to have any kind of impact on the locker room. Like they would buy into what he said uh, and they would go and they would work on it. And then he would be the first guy up celebrating that, that accomplishment and pointing out and giving them the praise uh, that they deserve for making um, the adjustments that he needed. He had a, a, a contract written up 
that he had the entire team sign if they wanted to that said they were just going to completely buy in and give 100% to what the Sacramento Kings were trying to do. Everybody signed that, and there's two copies. There's one in the practice facility, and there's one in the Kings locker room. And they've held that up all season long. Mike has brought that culture here to Sacramento that we've been missing for a long time. He's Matt George from ABC 10 KXTV in Sacramento here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, for a while, it seemed like DeMontis Sabonis was linked to the Suns in trade rumors. It obviously never happened. He ends up in Sacramento. His numbers are impressive, averaging 19.1 a game, 12 rebounds a night, and just over seven assists a game. Uh, so a two-part question here. Getting to see him night in and night out, what adjectives can you use for his game? But then also, how does his game translate to matching up against this Warriors team. Yeah, just watching him play, you're just so amazed, and then you start taking it for granted. Like, he's a double-double machine. He leads the league in double-doubles. And it got to a point where it's like, okay, he'd be three-fourths of the way to a double-double, or he'd have like eight points, nine rebounds, and and really also like four, five, six assists by the end of the first quarter. And you're just like, okay, he's going to get it. And and he did it so much uh, over the course of the season that you just look up and you'd see and you'd go, oh, wow, okay, that's pretty par for the course for, for DeMontis Sabonis. And I never wanted to let myself get to a point where I wasn't amazed uh, and appreciative of what Domas did, but he, he does so many things. He just fills up a stat column uh, in so many different ways that you expect it and you can still appreciate it. You know, um, how, does, how does Sabonis match up against the Golden State Warriors? First off, I don't think the Warriors have anybody on, on that team that can – can stop him. They're going to try and disrupt him with guys like Kevon Looney and maybe Draymond Green if they want to go small, to which DeMontis, I think, will punish them for it. Because Sabonis can beat you on all three levels. It's not just like, he's improved a little bit as a three-point shooter, but I'm not just talking about him as an outside shooter. Like, he's aggressive and physical around the rim and in the paint. He can score, of course, around the rim. Decent mid-range jumper, decent three-point jumper. But the Kings run so much through him on the offensive end of the floor. Dribble handoffs, uh, him running point guard. You'll be surprised how many times. Uh, if, if DeMondis Sabonis gets the rebound, gets a defensive rebound, more often than not, he's the guy taking the ball off the floor. So uh, he'll initiate the offense and, and take over ball handling duties when he needs to as well. So much runs through him, and he gets so many of his teammates involved. So he's really a ridiculously tough cover because – you don't know if he's going to attack and look to score. You don't know if he's going to dish off and find teammates. He can set screens while having the ball in his hand and still find someone else that's completely disconnected from the play, roaming the perimeter. Like Sabonis, you, you have to have like three or four eyes if you're guarding DeMontis Sabonis to see everything that he's capable of doing. He's a great decision maker, high basketball IQ guy, and then just an amazing teammate too. I think that's what really jumped off the page to me. Is Sabonis could have come into Sacramento when he was traded here and said, I'm the former all-star. I'm the guy here. Nobody else has done anything. This is my show. This is my team. He didn't. He's come in and completely supported um, De'Aaron Fox. He is arguably the most important king for the first three quarters. And then once it gets to the fourth quarter where De'Aaron Fox shines, Domas will go up to Fox and say, hey, where do you want me? You want me in the corner? Do you want me setting the screen for you? Like, what do you want me to do? Uh, which is pretty rare for a player of, of Sabonis' caliber uh, to, to kind of take the back seat or, or hand the keys over to his guard and do what he needs to do to help De'Aaron and help the team win. Nice segue because I had Fox next on my list here. So how does uh, – he, he's like the fastest guy with the ball in the league, I think. But how how's that matchup work against the Warriors? I don't know who in Golden State's going to be guarding him. I think they're going to throw a, a bunch of different looks at him just like – the Sacramento Kings are going to throw a bunch of different looks at the Golden State Warriors. The reality is neither of these teams are good defensive teams. Uh, the Warriors have a little bit more of a defensive track record, especially, of course, in the playoffs, which the Kings don't have. Um, this is going to be an offensive series. So 
no matter who the Warriors throw at De'Aaron Fox, De'Aaron's going to be able to get to his spots. Uh, and he loves to uh, – I mean, he's, he's sometimes set a little too much for that outside three-point jumper, uh, but he's capable of knocking it down. Of course, we know how aggressive he is attacking the basket. Um, but his mid-range game, it's, it's his uh, – quick as, as Mark Jones, King's broadcaster and ESPN broadcaster likes to say, pop in the clutch where he can just get that quick first step burst and get to that elbow jumper and, and pull up in that mid-range shot is almost automatic. Um, he does it every single night in the fourth quarter. It's his go-to look. And it's it, no team can really stop it even if you know it's coming because you're not quick enough to stay in front of him and you have to play him tight because he's now capable of knocking down that three-point shot unlike at the beginning of his career. So, um, like, I don't know who this, is the Golden State Warriors plan on throwing at him. I think that he's probably going to get Gary Payton uh, the second against him at certain points, but the Warriors also need to have uh, Steph and Clay and their offensive guys on the floor, I think, at all times or close to all times uh, in this series because of how prolific the Kings' offense is and how quickly the Kings can pull away. I think this is just going to be, honestly, a classic Western shootout. It's just going to be a lot of points versus a lot of points, and who can ever outscore the other and get hot at the right time will win. Matt George from ABC 10 KXTV in Sacramento here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. Okay, so points are fun. Defense, though, tends to ratchet up a little bit here in the playoffs. So can this Kings team play enough defense? Basketball, playoff basketball typically slows down a little bit more, more attention on the defensive side of the ball. And the splits for the Kings home and road defense are quite different. Yeah, believe it or not, like the Kings are a better team uh, on the road, which has been really confusing uh, and, and really surprising with this with this Kings team um, this season, considering that, I mean, they haven't really been there before, and typically it takes longer to, to become an established road team than it is in your own building. Um, I mean, defensively, I don't think the Kings have anything that they can truly hang their hat on. Like, that's the reality of the situation. They're uh, we're going to kind of go in and uh, go into this series and with our eyes wide open and say, okay, King, show us something on the defensive end of the floor. I will say, though, um, the fourth quarter defense for the Sacramento Kings, if you're looking at just fourth quarter defensive metrics uh, versus the, the entire game or, or first half or even second half, the fourth quarter metrics are, are significantly better for the Kings, like top 10 or top half of the league. So that's something that maybe they can hang their hat on a little bit. Um, and But I feel like that's more kind of optimistic wishful thinking and not necessarily cherry picking of stats but like it's it's you're trying to kind of talk yourself into the sacramento kings defensively being able to hold their own the reality is the kings just need to get enough stops to allow their defense or their offense to hit shots and pull away what they want to avoid is being down by six points with two minutes to go where they basically have to get a guaranteed handful of stops so they can't allow the Warriors to score more than one or two more buckets over the remainder of the game uh, so so that they can win, essentially. Um, so if the Kings are in consistent points in this series where they have to rely on their defense, I think they're in trouble. Same thing can be said with the Golden State Warriors. That's just not their games. Um, but it's a great question because we don't know how the Kings defense is going to square up uh, with the Golden State Warriors or with any team really in the playoffs. They're going to kind of have to prove it. And I'm sure that's a lot of what they're working on in uh, this, uh, this week of essentially mini training camp before playoffs. Last up for me, you know, the, the Kings are going to get the home game, get the home court advantage. I assume uh, there are some Warriors fans in Sacramento with all the success the Warriors have had in the past. How many Warriors fans are going to be in that arena on Saturday? 
Yeah, this is something that I think has been blown way out of proportion um, with this series because the Golden State Warriors have been such a bad road team this year. I don't expect them to be nearly as bad on the road uh, as they've uh, during the postseason as they've been during the regular season. Um, but like, there seems to be this belief that the Golden One Center is going to turn into Chase Center, Sacramento version, or that a lot of Golden State Warrior fans are going to be come to Sacramento. And there are a lot of Warrior fans in Sacramento, not just because maybe some fans here over the years have, have just gone over to a winning franchise while the Kings have struggled for so much, but there are a lot of, uh, of transplants from the Bay Area that have moved to Sacramento and up north a little bit um, to, to just for to change their 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 way of life a little bit so uh, there are definitely a lot of warrior fans in sacramento that being said like king's fans have been waiting for this for a long time and and also warrior fans aren't the only people with cars so if if there's a concern that warrior fans are going to be inside the golden one center king's fans are also certainly going to have a presence in chase center but in reality when we get to the games themselves i think it's going to be a moot point like you're going to see warrior fans in the crowd in golden one center you're going to see king's fans in the crowd in chase center but they're not going to be so present and so apparent that it's going to be more than a, a minor talking point or something for the TV cameras to catch, and it's not going to have any effect on the series. I think it adds to the environment a little bit, but I think you're especially going to see in Game 1 with how long it's been for this city and it being the first playoff game ever inside the Golden 1 Center, I think you're going to see a sea of purple out there with some sprinkles of gold and blue in there every once in a while. All right, Matt, before we let you go, so what is realistic success for this team? Do they get past the Warriors in the first round? Realistic success, uh, I, I think there's two different definitions of it. The first definition is, one, do they prove that they belong? And this has everything to do with them and really nothing to do with their competition. It's, it's do you look like you belong here? We're going to get minimum four games of context that Kings general manager Monty McNair can go into next offseason and work with because we don't have any of that context now. Is De'Aaron Fox that guy? Are Fox and Sabonis that pair can, that can maybe win you a championship one day? What does the supporting cast look like? What holes do you really need to fill? Um, and Monty might have a decent idea of that now, but once he gets that playoff context, he can really um, start putting in the work he needs to make this summer to make sure that this Kings team doesn't just be a fun story one year, but they get back to this spot and go even further than it uh, uh, next season. So that's that's one area of it. In terms of like the Kings versus Warriors directly, like the Golden State Warriors, I don't believe have won or lost a, a Western Conference playoff series since like 2014 or 2015 or something like that every time they've been in, which is pretty incredible. Uh, the Kings are more than capable of knocking the Warriors off. However, the Warriors definitely should be the favorite. So I'll say that I'm predicting the Sacramento Kings to win in seven. I think the one thing that's for sure about the series is that it's going to go six or seven games. I just have a hard time believing it's going to end in four or five. Um, I think it's going to be back and forth. There's going to be a lot of drama, a lot of excitement um, in this series. Again, the Kings, I think, definitely have a chance. They, uh, they're going to have to prove it in some way. But regardless of what happens, I think the Kings are going to show that they belong and they're going to open a lot of eyes and surprise a lot of people who still, despite the Kings being the third seed, didn't watch any Kings basketball or didn't pay enough attention to what the Kings have been doing in Sacramento all year long because they're worth the attention and they're a lot of fun. Well, Matt, there's one thing that I think maybe we can speak for everyone here is that I hope you're right on this being a really fun, uh, competitive series. And, of course, the drama of these two Northern California teams should be a lot of fun to pay attention to here in the first round. We really appreciate you taking some time on the show with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Best of luck uh, to the, the Phoenix Suns out there, too. I don't know if the Kings and Suns can match up, but those have been some fun battles so far this uh uh, this season as well, and uh, the Suns are my pick to make it out of the Western Conference just based off how loaded they are. Uh, so it's a fun time to be on the West Coast right now. Agree with that. Appreciate it, and maybe we'll be talking with you down the road here. Uh, enjoy tomorrow's contest.
Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Once again, he is Matt George there from ABC 10 KXTV in Sacramento. So, Bob, something that came to mind here. uh, Is there any potential, I guess, not really mentally and physically ready for kind of leveling up for the playoffs? Like the Kings are this fun story that have uh, infiltrated us. They've made the playoffs and they seem like they played hard throughout the regular season. So that certain level of intensity that they were at versus maybe the rest of the NBA was at, now the playoffs are here and the rest of the NBA and some of the veteran teams have ratcheted up their intensity level and maybe they go up a couple of more notches that the Kings might not be ready for. I totally agree with that. And obviously, you know, maybe I think that if you take a look at the other teams in the in the West, uh, playing the Warriors might be like the worst possibility for them if that if uh, you know the inexperience factor, needless to say, compared to the Warriors. And yeah, I think uh, I've mentioned this you know in same shape or form for months that uh, at some point are the Warriors just going to flip the switch? And what if the Warriors like flip the switch? Uh, the Kings could be a feel-good story in the regular season and out pretty quickly in the playoffs. Later on in hour number two, when we go through all of the different games and the lines as well, I have a statistic just about how good the Warriors have been with their starting unit. They haven't played a whole lot of minutes together this year, but it's pretty darn scary when they have. Uh, But on the other side, we will, well, we went a little long here, so we'll push phone call time to hour number two, but we'll get into a little bit more, uh, some baseball next here on Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Appreciate Matt George, ABC 10, KXTV for his time talking all things Sacramento Kings. We'll get into much more surrounding that game in our number two. A brief look at the RBC heritage, Jimmy Walker. He is throwing it back. Uh, 65. Dynamite, right, Jimmy Walker? Uh, Not the same guy. Uh, He used to actually bet sports. Uh, He was a big NBA better. I'm not kidding. Back in the day at the Stardust in the – in Vegas in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, and there was a big lottery thing where you had to make a minimum bet to be included, and he was in line every day for that, by the way. Interesting. Well, this yeah. Jimmy Walker, uh, he's had some injuries, working his way back into playing. Uh, 65-65, he's your clubhouse leader right now at 12 under par. Scotty Scheffler out there firing a 65 today. He's in a tie for second with Justin Rose at 9 under par. And one of our guys... Patrick Cantlay hit a hole-in-one today, so we'll certainly take that. Uh, He's in a tie for fourth at eight under par, so lurking nicely for us in an outright market situation. Uh, We have Colin Morikawa. He's at two under par in a tie for 51st. Uh, Right now, the projected cut line is two under par, so uh, he's done for the day, so you're just going to have to hope that the afternoon wave doesn't uh, go out there and light it up for him to move on and make the cut. As for Matt Kuchar, he's two under par through 
through four holes, five under for the tournament, and a tie for 19th. So that's nicely for us so far as we have him in a top 30 matchup. As for Major League Baseball, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're on the road in Miami tonight. Madison Bumgarner versus Trevor Rogers, 3.40 p.m., Bally Sports, Arizona. It does start a six-game road trip for the D-backs here. But uh, Madison Bumgarner getting this start, have to see something better than what we've seen so far. Yeah, as I mentioned during the sports zone, uh, the Marlins are inept on offense, and that is uh, kind uh, they have scored nine fewer runs than anybody in the National League uh, two weeks into the baseball season. And I, um, you know, I don't think the Diamondbacks are ever going to publicly say this. Maybe someday down the road they might. But you know, they moved him back two days. Uh, he was supposed to, you know, the original. If you just went by the original timetable thing, he would have started Wednesday against the Brewers. Much better team, much better offense, so much better ballpark for hitters. Uh, so they just took all that away and put him in uh, the Florida slot on uh, Friday, which is a very difficult ballpark, and they can't hit. So if he's not any good tonight, I think the Diamondbacks have some decisions to at least to think about um, as far as we have, what do they do with him. And I don't know if they really have, uh, because of their pitching injuries already, I'm not sure if they have a whole lot of alternatives that they want to you know, make, move him out of the rotation at least temporarily. Uh, two other games that I wanted to get to here, the Rays versus the Blue Jays. It's Drew Rasmussen versus yeah. Jose Barrios. Uh, the Rays are going for a 14-0 start. It would set a modern era record if you wanted to go back to 1884, you could, for the St. Louis Maroons. They had a 20-0 start. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. You know, Toronto have a new ballpark. Well, I should rephrase that. They had the same ballpark, but they've moved the dimensions in, and that has played a monstrous. They've only been home for the last three days. They had, the, I think, they were like the last team to have a home game, uh, one of the last, if not the last. And uh, the the ballpark is playing much shorter and much differently. And even the Toronto outfielders, who haven't been there for very long, to you know work out and you know understand what's going on here. Just even caroms off the wall have been misplayed by the home team. So this is a whole different ballpark as far as how it plays in Toronto. And, yeah, Tampa has played all but three games at home so far, and they've played three really bad teams. And I actually think the Red Sox are a last-place team. Uh, and even though I do think Toronto's overrated, they're definitely uh, moving up in uh, competition. It's kind of like a – you know, racehorse type of thing. You move up and, uh, you know, you're, you're the, the claiming races or something get you know, more, they increase in quality. So the much tougher competition uh, for this weekend series at Toronto. Yesterday we talked about the Twins and the Yankees, and you had talked about Johnny Brito and what he could do in Ugh. his start. Well, holy smokes, he imploded in the first inning. He just went uh, two-thirds innings, six hits, seven runs, one walk, one home run as the Twins went on to win 11-2. to Today it's uh, Louis Varland. He just wasn't bad. He got destroyed. I mean, everything was hard hit. Uh, there was actually a single that went off the wall in right field and ricocheted back so quickly that the the runner who was running hard actually had to stop between first and second base. He got destroyed in this game. Uh, today it's going to be Louis Varland versus Nestor Cortez, but yeah, not a good start there yesterday for Johnny Brito. 
Yeah, and Cortez needs to come up big here. I mean, they've got obviously starting pitching injuries and quality, you know, they haven't had quality starts from a couple guys, including yesterday's disaster when he had, uh, you know, how'd that, how'd that go for us? Uh, you know, me and my partner in fantasy baseball crime, uh, we uh, we picked up Brito for this start. Whoops. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't got- sitting next to you for that. He got three outs and uh, didn't even get three outs. He gave up seven runs and got two outs and was out of the game. Yep, that's all I can say. Glad I was not sitting next to you for that start. Uh, Well, you know what? It's still early on in the season. If this were later in the season when you're sitting in first place in the league, that's when I'm glad I'm not sitting next to you. Okay, well, there's probably a lot of reasons you're probably glad you're not sitting next to me, but that's probably near the top of the list. (laughs) We wrap up our number one of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDOS AM 1060. AM 1060 as always online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports be sure to download the app register and follow along for the listener rewards opportunities for you Saturday Sun Devil football spring game at noon there will be four seven minute quarters Uh, the events get started of course tomorrow with Pat's run Uh, gates open to non Pat's run participants Mm. and guests at 8.30 a.m. So it's pretty cool that they are combining those two events now as Pat's run is obviously such an important thing to uh, the Sun Devils and to the community. When it comes to Sun Devil football, though, uh, wide receivers Elijah Badger and Giovanni Sanders are expected to be the top two returning. Uh, Sanders probably should get some more playing time in Kenny Dillingham's offense. Then you have uh, Melquan Stovall and Xavier Gulleroy, who have transferred into the program. They're likely to see some meaningful snaps for the Sun Devils, but then... You got to figure out what's going on at quarterback here. You have returner Trenton Borgay, Notre Dame transfer Drew Pine, freshman Jaden Rashada, redshirt freshman Max Clark, redshirt freshman Bennett Meredith, and BYU transfer Jacob Conover. Okay, two things. Uh, I don't think that you know, Pine would have come here had he not. Uh, if he, I, I would imagine he had some kind of at least thought that he was going to be the starter. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I know this is the unpopular thing to say, but I was uh, not amongst the Borgay you know, follower, you know, f- fans last year. You know, people lost their minds over him after uh, like one really good play or one start or whatever. Uh, so if he's their starting quarterback, I'll be very disappointed if they didn't upgrade at the quarterback position. And back to the receiver thing. Uh, Badger, I've mentioned for two seasons, I don't understand why he wasn't used more often. Uh, at a, uh, with uh, you know Herm Edwards and that, that staff in charge, and they had different coordinators, and he still didn't get the ball enough. And it wasn't all because of the quarterback play. I agree that I think that there's – well, at least the hope is that we're going to have a more um, up-to-date offensive scheme and to be able to get the ball in the hands of playmakers. Yeah, he was their best playmaker. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. This could certainly you – know, he was young. He was like a freshman two years ago. And, 
maybe that was part of it too, the adjustment to the college game. But when he had the ball in his hands, you paid attention. Then you also have U of A spring football game. It's Saturday as well, 3.30 p.m. This is going to wrap up hour number one. We'll catch our break and we'll get ready for hour number two as we dive into the NBA play-in games tonight. NBA playoffs getting started Saturday and Sunday. And there's still that $100 gift certificate to Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits up for grabs. That's all coming up in hour number two on this Friday, April 14th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. 